Today I want to talk about tracking the spirit. A big part of vision is the eye movement, or the movement of the eye, which technically called the ocular motor skill. When you read, your eyes track the word, and it jumps from word to word to word. The ability for you to do that enables you to read and understand. So that's part of the eye tracking movement and it is imperative that we have two eyes that we can track. Our eyes are able to not only to focus but fixate on a point and move that along or it can move along points on a page like words without it being moved. Three kinds of movements that our eyes made. Uh, one is for for example, reading is when we, it's called cicada, move from word to word or jump from word to word. And especially when you go hit the end of the line and you move to the next line, your eyes has to be able to remember or keep track of the previous line so that you move to the next line. If you teach children, you know that this could be a problem to, for some children because they lose the position where they left off. And it's something that is a skill that they have to learn. Another ocular motor skill that is, you can see this prominent in tennis players and especially baseball players, is their ability to track the ball movement and then being able to precisely hit the ball or make contact with the ball with that. And that is a skill that needs to be learned. In particular, become part of your motor skills. Your ocular motor becomes your physical motor skills so that you can respond. And all of that has to do with tracking your eye tracking, the tracking the spirit of God using the visual system that we need to develop. Because some of us think that, oh, we know where the spirit is, but we don't. We need to learn how to track the spirit so that we can have a life that in pursuit of the spirit. Because to know where the spirit is, we need to learn how to track the spirit and then to walk in the spirit. So the text today is in Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. To gain an ability to track the spirit, we need to develop our visual system, our spiritual visual system, so that we can fixate on the movement of the spirit. To do this, we need to know where the spirit is moving. The scripture tells us that the spirit moves only in one direction and the Spirit moves toward God. We know where the Spirit is moving by fixating on the author, God the Holy Spirit is moving toward, which is the second person in the Trinity, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of man knows what's in man, but no man knows what's in God, except the Spirit of God. For us to know God, we need to know the Spirit of God. And to know the Spirit of God, we need to know where the Spirit is moving. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit is moving back to God. For God has granted us His Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's movement is moving back to God. When we track the Spirit, or when we learn to see the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, we are heading back to God. And this heading back to God, this process is called learning the deep things of God. The reference to that is 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. The deep things of God is what we are after today. For us to understand the Spirit and the movement of the Spirit, we need to understand the law and the Spirit, the contrast between the two. We have been given a way to salvation. God doesn't have to give us a way to salvation. But because of His grace, He has given us a way for salvation. And that way is the law. So God says, no problem. You sin, but here's my grace to the chosen people, Israel. And He said, 
All you have to do is follow the law. Simple, isn't it? Let's uh, look at Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I want to make the conclusion before I make the claim here. And that is, ultimately, the law will bring us to salvation. But the deeds of the law cannot take us to salvation because we are fleshly and we are unable to fulfill the law by our deeds. And therefore, the only way for us to fulfill the law is by faith in Christ. So the law and the spirit are two ways in which we can fulfill the demands of the law and thus receive eternal life. So the purpose of the law is so that if we fulfill the law, we can have eternal life. And the law demands that we need to keep it perfectly, meaning through the deeds, every point of the law or every commandment of the law, we need to keep it perfectly. If you violate one law, then you have broken the entire thing and therefore you are damned. No one has been able to do that. If that's the only way for salvation, by keeping the law perfectly, then no one can be saved. But God has made an alternative, not an alternative, but a way through Christ to fulfill the law. And that is, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, all the law perfectly. And then imagine this, if Christ, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is that because I fulfilled the law, I have made the way, I become the way, and if you walk in me, then you are deemed righteous because you are, you are staying within the law as you walk in Christ or as you travel through Christ. Tracking the spirit of Christ, naturally we know that Jesus Christ is no longer here and the only way for us to fulfill the law, not that we, we don't have salvation already unless you are Catholic. Right? The Catholic is a journey to salvation. So when you, are, you meet God, then you are saved. But as Protestant Christian, we believe that when we, or we know that when we are saved, we are already saved. When we're not on our journey to salvation, we are saved at the moment that we believe. So that's the difference. The leading of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of this law which brings joy and life to us, our purpose. The deeds of the law reveals the knowledge of sin. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul always contrasts between the two. Deeds of the law, we cannot do because we are flesh. The more we try to do what the law commands us to do, the more we become frustrated to a point where we get frustrated with ourselves, we're frustrated with God because of His demands and we can't fulfill, and therefore we become angry with God. The law proves that men sin against God and must receive the wage. Think about it this way. You're in a car, you're driving, you don't know what the law is, so you're driving faster than the speed limit. You, you don't know the law. And then you drive by and you saw the sign posted there, and it's slower than what you're driving. Now you slow down to obey the law, but have you broken the law? You have, you already broke the law. The law is like the speed limit post that tells you how fast you should be going. But before you read it, you already broke it. So that's what happens with the law of God. By the time you get to know what the law is, you have already broken the law. In Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law comes and tells you, you've broken it. The purpose of the law is to affirm. Now, you just pass that sign, you slow down, and then you look into your rearview mirror, and lo and behold, flashing lights. The officer stops you and he said, you know what you did? Nope. Sure. But I'm driving speed limit. What about before you saw the sign? But I didn't know. Would that get you out of the ticket? That wouldn't get you out of the ticket. So there is no excuse. Because of that, because we've broken God's law even before we knew what God's law was, we are still responsible for the wages of that sin, and that is death. The law instructs you in the way of life, but unfortunately, by the time you learn it, you know you have broken it. And therefore, you have to pay for the consequences of breaking God's law. Romans 7.10 says, And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. Paul even says, there's no way around it. By the, by the time we know what the law says, or we waken up to God's law, we have already broken it. God provides a different way for us to fulfill the law. And Romans 8, 3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The reverse is true, in that God knew what the law was, because it was there when the law was created. And so he sent his son, the second person in the Trinity, to come and fulfill the requirement of the law perfectly. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And he took on flesh. He did not fulfill the law perfectly in God form. He fulfilled the law perfectly in human form, took on flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, meaning he took on sin and then condemned it in the flesh so that he walked through the requirement of the law and become our substitute. Because it was not his sin that he died, it was our sin that he died, and therefore his death becomes our death, and now we can walk by the Spirit in him, like a pathway, through the fulfillment of his law. When his disciples in the cornfield, and they picked the corn, and they ate the corn on the Sabbath, and they were accused of breaking the Sabbath law, and Jesus' response to them is that, no. There's something that's greater than the temple because he's making this equation and that the priests who are in the temple doing the priestly service is not bound by the law. They are bound by commandment of God. For example, police officer chasing you down. Like you saw that sign and you just blew past it. You know, I already broke the law, so I'm going to continue to break the law. What else can I do wrong? You can actually get in a lot more trouble if you resisting arrest, doubling the speed limit, driving recklessly, keep adding. Police officer in the cruiser car can speed and chase you down because that is his authority. Now, let's say you are inside the car with the police officer, then you're okay. You're not violating the law. In a similar fashion, if you are in me, if you are in Christ, then you're not breaking the law. Walking with the Spirit means that we are in Christ and therefore we are not under the law, but we are under grace. And that's what it means by being in Christ, by tracking the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Galatians 5, 18, a couple of verses down from our verse. So when you track the Spirit, there is peace. And think about it. If you're in a car being chased by the police officer, you wouldn't be scared. You should be. If you are in the car that chases the other car, hey, this is fun. 
It's like joy rap. There's life and there's peace in Christ. You're not worried. There's no penalty for you. You're just there enjoying the ride. Not condemned by the law, even though the police car is going way faster than the speed limit. There's no worry of breaking the law. And we know that at the end of this, and even if at the end, and we all will meet together at the end, that is the grave, we'll get resurrected into eternal life. That is the only way to get into eternal life is through resurrection and into everlasting life. We have peace, we have joy, knowing that because of the Lord Jesus Christ conquered the grave, we will be resurrected with him and through him into everlasting life. The question is, how do you track the spirit? I spoke earlier about the ocular motor skills that we need to have. There are certain spiritual skills that we need to develop to track the Holy Spirit. First of all, it is to look at Jesus and then to put on Jesus. Those are the two ways to being able to track the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? We walk by tracking the Spirit. Tracking requires studying the Spirit's movement and learning to read the Spirit's action. Have you ever learned to play baseball? It is very difficult. That little stick hitting that little ball, if they throw it slow at you, you might be able to hit it. To be hitting that ball when it's going more than 100 miles, coming at you, curving in every direction, the intent to deceive you from the trajectory of the ball, it is very hard to hit that ball. Not only that, the batter has to have incredible eyesight. The eyesight of an average batter is much higher clarity than a normal person. Tennis players, they also have incredible eyesight. The baseball player, their ability to track the ball. The ability to not only fix, focus on the ball, but able to track the ball through the air. It's something that it becomes intuitive to the batter. It's not that they will figure it out as the ball comes. It's actually part of the motor functional ability. They see the ball, the eye being able to track the ball and becomes part of the motor skill. The hands, like the violinist, the celloist, the guitarist, when they play, their hands movement are connected to their ears and to the brain and they all synchronize and it happens automatically. The moment you stop and think, you slow down. For us to learn to walk in the Spirit, we need to have a lot of practice tracking the Spirit, reading the Spirit, knowing where the Spirit is heading. And one way to do that is to figure out where the Spirit is heading toward and the Spirit is heading toward Jesus Christ. That's the direction of the Holy Spirit. By figuring out where the Spirit is heading, the Spirit is heading toward the object of His affection. We know that the Trinity operates through love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loves the Father, and that love is what keeps the Trinity a Trinity. The second person in the Trinity is the Lord Jesus Christ in whom the Holy Spirit is heading toward. So by us, Learning to see Jesus, to observe, to look at Jesus, we know where the Spirit is heading. And now we can learn the movement of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of all faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that we need to look at the one who gave us faith, the author of our faith. That's where we need to begin our focus. Going back to my illustration, of the baseball player. The first thing that the batter needs to look at is the pitcher. By learning how to watch sudden movement of the pitcher, you know where the ball is going. So imagine the pitcher is Christ, is Jesus. By looking, observing Christ, whom you can see because you can't see where that ball is going, but you can see and study the movement of the pitcher. 
similarly, for us to know where the Spirit is moving, we need to see Christ. We need to learn to look at Jesus. And the first thing to look at is the cross, because back in Hebrews 12:2, looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we look at what Jesus was looking at. And Jesus was looking at the cross. And he was heading toward the cross. So we know he's heading toward the cross because he's looking at the cross. And so we need to look at the cross the same way that Jesus looked at the cross. That's where he is heading. That's where we should be looking at. That's where the Holy Spirit is going. And we also know that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. It's always the cross. We need to return to the cross. By observing the author and finisher of our faith, we will know where the Spirit is moving toward. It is the cross. And it's not coincidence that it's called the cross. Or we took that and used that as the cross here. It's also the cross where we need to focus. Christ sets his sight on the cross. We must do the same if we want to head toward Christ. That's where the Spirit is going. And in our path toward the cross, we will learn to see where the Spirit is. Or we will feel and we will sense the Spirit. Because the Spirit is heading in that direction as well. The cross means sacrificing fleshly desires and lusts. The cross reminds us that you are not of this world. The Apostle Paul says that I've been crucified to the world. The world is crucified unto me. Remind yourself that we are heading toward the cross. So everything else in this world shouldn't be something that we should fixate and focus on. Set your affection on things above, not on things below. Number two, the truth. If our pursuit is a lie, then we will never get to the end. So fixate on the truth. That will get you to the destination. Think about it this way. Do you trust your navigation system? You know that there's a source of truth out there. there. It's your mind. You learn to trust your mind, your eyesight. Or if you don't know where you're going, you need to trust whether or not the GPS and your navigation system is the source of some truth that gets you there. There needs to be a trust relationship. This is the cause of a lot of believers losing their faith it's because they no longer believe what they are believing in is the truth. The truth is the critical component to going toward Christ. The only way to life is the truth. Jesus is both life and truth. He is also the way in which the Spirit is heading. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. And then he said, thy word is truth. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Truth is what Jesus said, what he spoke, that is the truth. And for us to know what the truth is, we need to believe in what the Bible tells us. The word of Jesus Christ, the kids are going to college. And when you go into college, a lot of different philosophy, science, will compete to proclaim that they are the source of truth. You need to know what is the truth. You need to know what source of truth that you should believe in. Where are the other source of truth? Science says that the most important questions to answer is the question, how? Theology says that's not the most important question, not the how, but the why. The why is more important. Science will tell you how certain things are made and done and how they come to be, but they cannot answer the question, why? meaning of life. Understanding that the Bible tells you what Jesus Christ, what he taught when he was on this earth, was to tell you why you are here, what you are doing on this earth, what is the purpose 
What is your purpose? What's God's purpose? And he is answering this greater question. And that question is why, not how. Because if you only answer the how question, you might know how things work, but you don't know why they were designed. Having no purpose, then your existence serves no purpose. Knowing how things work doesn't get you to living a purposeful life. But knowing why you are here and what you are doing here and what the plan is that God has for you will give you a direction. Otherwise, you don't know what you're doing. You might be doing something here today, knowing how to do certain things and you know how to do other things tomorrow, but where does that lead you? You need to be able to answer the question, why? Why are you here? Why is God putting you here on earth? What is it for? That is a more important question. The word is truth. Truth is something that's not within us. If truth was in us, then we would have found the way to God. But truth is not in us. Truth is in Christ and is what he said. You should be willing to accept correction from the word of God. And that's how we grow, is the word of God shapes and changes us. Not that we will ever be completely perfect as the word uh, shapes us, but we get there. We will form and we will shape according to God's truth or Christ's word. And the third thing is freedom. John chapter 8 verse 32, he says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you learn to know the truth, you'll be free. Because knowing the truth will set you free. The source of our anxiety is, is that we don't know whether or not we're in the right. That's where anxiety comes from. Or if we have done something wrong. But knowing the truth will set you free because that's the truth. If you know something to be true, then there's nothing else for you to worry about. That is the truth. Freedom is knowing that Christ has done the work that God requires. Then this is the ultimate truth. And that is Christ has finished the work. And all we have to do is to trust Him. So our grappling with the truth is simply faith. Believing in what God has said through Christ. And that is He has done the work and therefore we should believe in the work of Jesus Christ and that is what sets us free. That gives us, that pacify our anxieties, our worries that we will ever be good enough to be saved. No, but we believe in Jesus Christ who will at the end, will say that you are justified. For whom he had predestinated, them he also called. Who he called, them he justified. Whom he justified, them he glorified. That is the promise of God and what God has said he will perform. You should have freedom in knowing that Jesus Christ had done the work for you. There shouldn't be any anxiety about your salvation at all. Unless you're Catholic, then you should be anxious because you're not saved right now. You're on your way to salvation. Our pursuit of the Spirit is not only leads us to everlasting freedom, but also sets us free from the bondage of sin. Christ says, you're in me, you're not under the law you are completely set free by the bondage of the law. Now, the second part about tracking or how to track the Spirit is put on Christ. The first part is look on Jesus. The second part is put on Jesus. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The first part is the promise. This is what Christ has done for you. The second part is because this is what Christ has done for you, here is how your life will be shaped and formed by who He is in you. Looking at Jesus is being in Christ. Putting on Jesus is having Christ in you. 
kind of reversed, but it's an easier way to think about it that way. Because Christ is in you, now the work that you do, you are doing it by the power of Christ. Both willing and wanting to do the will of God. To track the Holy Spirit, you must be spiritually minded. Putting on Christ means having your mind renewed in Christ. You will track God's thoughts and turn down worldly thoughts. That's what it means by putting on Christ. Having that momentary pause before you make an action. You pause and you think, is the work that I'm about to engage in, is it God's work or is it worldly work? And we make that distinction and we make that decision when we, we are spiritually minded. A Christ-minded person will not make any room for the flesh. If it serves to, to fulfill my lust and my pleasure, that is worldly. If it serves to build the kingdom of God and establish my faith and the faith of people around me, that is Christ-centered or Christ-minded. Two things, knowledge renewed. Colossians 3.10 And have put on a new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. How to put on Christ is to have the mind of Christ. To put on Christ means to have a mind renewed in the knowledge of Christ. So it is knowledge-based. Putting on Christ meaning having the knowledge of Christ. To put on Christ is to have Christ's thoughts and authority. When you put on the priest's robe, you represent the office of the priest. It doesn't matter how you feel. Think about when the priest, when the high priest on the Day of Atonement goes into the most holy place without his priestly garment. You think he's going to survive? He won't survive. He has to put on the priestly garment with the trinkets, the bells, and then walks in there. Now, will the rope save him? No, the rope doesn't save him. It's God, ultimately. But he has to put on the priestly garment to get in there because that's the ordinance of God. The priestly garment foreshadows Christ. It is Christ that we need to put on to get into the holy place of God. Now, we cannot get to God. We cannot get to God's presence without putting on Christ. You think you can stand before God without Jesus Christ? Without putting on Christ? So how can we be in Christ's presence, or how can we be in God's presence today if we don't put on Christ daily? We won't be able to. We're so fearful of approaching to God because we are sinful. We still are sinful because we're in the flesh. So put on Christ. Put on that robe of Jesus Christ. Then you're not under the law. You are under grace. Your work reflects the honor of the office. They did this experiment. They have two groups of college students. Both are engaged in the same exact problem. One group of students, they put on a white lab coat. The other group of students wear whatever they want. After they did their work, can you guess which group did better? Yes, the one that put on the lab coat. When they put on the lab coat, and this is, and this is the reasoning, when they put on the lab coat, they feel as if they have, they're more intelligent by only putting on the lab coat. And they repeat this experiment by changing the color of the lab coat. The people who wore the white lab coat versus the people who wear the blue lab coat fare differently. The ones who wear the white lab coat did better than the ones who wear the blue lab coat. Our minds are actually shaped by how we see ourselves. And if we see ourselves as ourselves, as our, you know, you choose the clothes that you put on. But 
if you choose to put on Christ, then we don't see ourselves as ourselves, we see ourselves as Christ, who is our coat. So put on Christ, it changes how we see ourselves. And we are no longer afraid, we're no longer, is this shirt the right color, I'm wearing the right shoes. Put on Christ, you have to worry about it. You are righteous before God, righteous in our standing. And putting on Christ is something that we shouldn't be thinking that it's optional. It is required that we need to put on Christ because it changes our perspective. Putting on Christ means you possess Jesus' ministry, His work. When you are an officer in uniform, you have certain authority. If you're an officer not in uniform, you don't have the authority. It's the uniform that will tell the people around you that you have the authority. The Spirit will guide the wearer of Christ. When the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides only those who have Christ, who put on Christ. That's the way that the Spirit recognizes you, is that you have Christ in you, or you're wearing Christ. Secondly, fight the flesh. When you put on Christ, or to put on Christ, you need to fight the flesh. There is a blind beggar. When the disciples and Christ was walking through, the blind beggar cried out to Son of David, have mercy on me. Remember the story. Jesus told the disciple, call the man to me. When the disciple called the blind beggar to him, the blind beggar did something. And the Bible says that he cast away his garment and he came to Jesus. Knowing that Jesus had prepared for him already a new garment. We know that in order for us to put on Christ, we need to take off whatever the world has given to us. We need to take out that worldly coat, leave it behind, and follow Jesus, and He will clothe us. He will give us the robe of righteousness. It begins with rejecting the flesh by denying it. Colossians 3, 5-8 Mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, etc., etc. These things are members of our bodies. We have to fight with them. We gotta selectively take them and incinerate them, excommunicate them out of our lives. The hatred of the flesh comes when you have been born again into the newness of life. The Bible uses a very strong term, and that term is to hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. To see what sin did to our Savior, the purest hands and feet of Christ on the cross, it should give you that visual image of what sin did to our Savior and cause you to hate that sin that is in us that caused Christ to be crucified. The fear of God is, it is truly to hate our evil. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is the first step into putting on Christ. It is the washing of the body. It is a representation of when the priest put on the priestly garment. Before the priest put on the priestly garment, the priest has to wash himself, purify himself. And baptism is a process of purifying ourselves. Death in Christ and resurrected with Christ and now we can put on Jesus Christ. Again, the external sacraments that is a sign of the inward change in us. And baptism is that external sacrament. Baptism is not optional. Baptism, it is required as part of your Christian walk. So if you think I can baptize whenever I want to, that's not the right 
line of thinking because you cannot put on Christ until you obey and you be baptized. So for those who are not baptized, put on Christ. We must begin walking in baptism first and then to put on Christ. Lastly, check the result, making sure that you are indeed walking in the Spirit because as you are pursuing the Spirit, tracking the Spirit, certain things are the product of this pursuit and other things, if it exists in your life, you're not following the Spirit, you're following the world. When you follow after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. If you are walking in the flesh, the manifestation of the flesh become visible. And what is the manifestation of the flesh? You know, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, strife, hatred, sedition, emulations, variance, heresies, wrath, murder, envyings, revelings, and drunkenness. By examining the fruit of the Spirit, by examining the product of our lives, if we see these kind of outcome or the, the fruit, then we know if we are heading with the Spirit or we are heading in the world. Take a moment to consider our lives and the kind of product that we produce in our lives. And whether they are in the green or they are in the red. If they are in the green, then you know that you are walking with the Holy Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. If not, then you are bearing the fruit of the flesh. Track the Spirit, pursue Him, and make no provision for the flesh. Yes, you will have both. You get the green fruit and the red fruit, but as we come closer to the Spirit and as we are pursuing the Spirit, the red evil fruit will fall away. will become less and less. They will become stifened as we pursue the Spirit. And then you will produce only the fruit of the Spirit. And that is the purpose of us tracking the Spirit. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit that leads us into all truth. Lord Jesus, you said that you have sent your spirit to lead and guide us and to bring us into all truth. And we believe, Lord, that where your spirit is heading, that's where we should be. That's where we should pursue and hold on to. And I ask, Lord, for your grace to abandon the pursuit of this world, the worldly pleasure and lusts and desires and set our affection, set our mind, set our love upon the things that is holy, that is what the Holy Spirit is moving toward and cause our spiritual eyes to track and focus on Christ, the cross and learning to be sensitive to your spirit in leading us toward that eternal uh, joy of salvation. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, begin to shed these things that are evil, these things that are wicked, these things that are worldly, and begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit in which you desire to have the trees that are planted in Christ, that are grafted in Christ, to bear the fruit that is holy and acceptable unto God. And in the name of Jesus, we pray.